My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As we've all made the fairly long trek to come here from different parts of the country, naturally we stop now to prepare ourselves for this retreat and ask ourselves in the presence of God and in the presence of the child, why are we here? We chose this state in the new year. We've had a chance to say goodbye to 2022. And now we can look at 2023 with new and fresh eyes. But we still have to look back and learn from this past year so that those fresh eyes will be merged with a real life that the Lord expects of us. We know we don't come here just to be entertained or to hear stories or anecdotes or just about the ecclesial problems at the moment, but really to draw strength from all the truths of the faith and to refresh our understanding of the spirit of the work and how we're living it. To refresh our understanding, to draw strength. We know the spirit of the work can't just be a a charism that is written in books and interesting to read about because really the best protection for this charism, for this spirit, is our own life, our piety, our apostolate, the way we actually live it out in our life. And so with this correct focus, we can face all the problems, all the challenges in, in the right spirit, the right attitude, the best focus possible. Because maybe with all the activity we've had and all the things we have to do and the, the demands of work and the demands of all kinds, could be that we maybe have gotten a little bit out of focus or precisely we may have lost track of how the truths of the faith are really guiding us, how they are really giving us strength in our life. So I've seen this image, you know, used before. That's like we come here, like to take a bath or maybe a cold shower. Well, we always take cold showers, so that, you know, maybe this retreat can be like a nice hot shower. It'll leave us somewhat refreshed, but especially a shower of faith, of hope, and of charity—the three theological virtues—and it's very urgent for us to do so. Those three theological virtues can be like the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh that we, like the Magi of today, we bring as a gift to God who comes to visit us from on high. We come to bring him gold, come to bring him frankincense, we come to bring him myrrh. 
Now, if we come here to the retreat and we look at our boxes that we're bringing him, like we see in those representations, bring our boxes for the child and our bottles. We bring the box with the gold in it. Maybe the the gold has gotten a bit thin. You know, they say 24 karat gold, that's the purest gold you can get. It's the most pure, that has no other metals that have sort of weakened it. Some forms of gold, I think it's 18 karat or something, they, they've mixed in other kinds of metals, maybe some co- copper or some other metal that kind of weakens its, its value. I just read that one little gram of gold is worth $60 for one little gram. And then you add, you know, $60, $60 for one gram. And they have yellow gold, they have white gold, they have rose gold. And uh, we want to see, well, what's the standard of our gold that we're offering to our lords with the way we do our norms, the way we do our apostolate? Is it a, is it a gold standard apostolate or our fraternity? You know, how, what's the level? Is, have impurities gotten into this gold that we're offering to our lord? Has copper and tin got in there? So the, the experts, they can see whether or not this is 24 karat or not. We need an expert to see. That's what this retreat is for, to see if the, the gold we're offering to our Lord is actually pure. Pure in the sense of rectitude of intention, pure in the sense of drawing strength from our piety and our norms. Or think of the other boxes that these Magi brought. You know, you know the, It says that it is said that the Magi came from Babylon, Babylonia. And you think, like, how, how did they hear about this king? We have heard that a king is to be born in Jerusalem or outside of it. Like, how did they know? These were Gentiles. They were far from, from Jerusalem. Well, it is said that they had heard about the birth of a king because they had interpreted the prophet Daniel, who himself had interpreted the dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar, and he had kind of made a prophecy that there would be subsequent empires after the Babylonian Empire. There would be you know, the, the Medo-Persian Empire, then there would be the Greeks, and then there would be the Romans, and a certain amount of time, and that's when this king would be born. And so they studied when this birth would take place. And some of them already were beginning to worship that king as far back or as far away as Babylon. And they came with that gold because they were well aware of those prophecies of the prophet Daniel who had been in, in the court of the king. Or they brought this frankincense Frankincense can be hardened. It's not smooth, you know. It, it can be hard, our, our frankincense that we give to God can be hardened by our bad experiences, our tiredness, moments of sadness. Frankincense has to smell good. They say they use frankincense for oil on the skin to smooth the oil, but of course, above all, for the aroma that it gives. This aroma, you know, with the incense and the, and it, and it billows up to heaven. 
it is a sign that our prayer life is pre- pleasing to God. You know, it happens sometimes, well, the priests, you know, we go to a benediction, solemn benediction sometimes, and uh, the ladies, they prepare, you know, this like this kind of pole with the incense there, the the ter- therefer thing there, and you go and uh, you open it up and you can see that that carbon has just been placed there two minutes ago and it's not it's not on fire at all you know it's like so you put put some incense in the sensor and but it's it's like basically cold and then you go and you you incense with some air you know <laughs> you know and uh you know it's you're faking it basically you know because it wasn't i don't know didn't put have time to put it on time or whatever and uh there's no smoke it's as though there were no real prayer rising up to God. And we have to see if the, the carbon of our life is just like, we haven't had time to really burn it properly. Sometimes there's a little corner that, you know, has somebody put the match there and, yeah, but it's not good enough. You know? That's what we have to see. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh that we have to offer is the perfume of our prayer. Good smell, rising up to, to God, our best efforts in the time of silence with the Blessed Virgin. Of course, the Blessed Virgin received this myrrh, and she was happy to smell its fragrance. And of course, the happiest of all to receive those gifts from the Magi would have been the baby Jesus himself. And this, as I said, well, you know, we often represent the Magi there at the, at the you know, in the cave, in the crib scene, or whatever, in the, in the manger. Yeah, but they, they came much later. They, they didn't necessarily come right at the moment when Jesus was born. They came later. They probably, I don't know, a year, or who knows how long, later. So they were already coming to a place where Joseph and Mary had already established themselves in presumably some home or something. And so we really want to give a good gift to God, like those magi, the gift of faith, the gift of hope, the gift of charity. This, you know, that, that really has to rise up to God. You know, the, like Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, if, if only you knew the gift of God. If only, if only you knew. The Catechism says, the wonder of prayer is revealed beside the well where we come seeking water. The wonder of prayer is revealed beside the well where we come seeking water. There, Christ comes to meet every human being. It is He who first seeks us and asks us for a drink. Jesus thirsts. His asking arises from the depths of God's desire for us. Whether we realize it or not, prayer is the encounter of God's thirst with ours. God thirsts that we may thirst for Him. It's a beautiful passage there at the very end of the Catechism. God thirsts that we may thirst for Him. We can ask our Lord now that we really thirst so that we can offer him offer you lord those those gifts 
That phrase, God thirsts so that we may thirst for him, comes from St. Augustine, apparently. And he says, could it be that I have, that I be driven by the very thirst that God has for me? He says, the cross, on the cross he was thirsty, yet he was redeeming us. With the Samaritan woman at the well, he asked her to quell his thirst, and it led to a deep conversion about her life, her doubts, her sins, her conversion. And then we know she ran off after that to tell everybody, and she was very effective in her apostolate. But it started with Jesus' thirst. So, Lord, we arrive here to hear what you have to say to us. It's going to start by clearing the land. To clear the land, like try to, you know, clear our mind of all preoccupations and worries that we may have brought with us. St. John of the Cross speaks of the ascent to Mount Carmel as though coming to God were like a strenuous climb up the mountain of God, Mount Carmel. Okay, there, of course, there's some truth to that, but, you know, in the ascetical struggle, but Scripture also tells us that it's really God's grace that comes to us. Like, like when the angel came into Mary's house, Mary didn't have to go to the temple like Zechariah, who went there six months before in this solemn liturgy where he was chosen by Lot to, to offer the incense. We think, well, he was offering the incense and this is what we want to do too. But this was the only time in his life that he was able to actually to do this. He was actually chosen. He was right there in front of the Holy of Holies. But in the case of Mary, it was God who entered into her lowly home. It wasn't in a temple, but she was ready. She had been immaculately conceived and ready for that encounter to happen. So in this retreat, we imagine how our task is also to kind of make us ready so that God can give us that grace, that light, so that we can offer incense to God. It's clearing the ground for him to come. Kind of remember that scene in, I think it was that, now right now I'm blocking on the name of the movie, but it's a Francis Ford Coppola movie in Vietnam where you see these helicopters coming down to pick up wounded soldiers and there's wind blowing all over the place and the helicopters are coming down onto the land and, and the drill sergeant is there and he's clearing the place for his comrades and he's saying, okay, get out of the way, get out of the way. The helicopter's coming. And he comes, the helicopter comes to give them assistance and take them away to a safe place because they're under fire. So the helicopter comes, there's this wind all over the place, the, the palm trees, you know, swaying in the wind. And they bring these wounded soldiers and they take them away to a safe place. So we, we ask you, Lord, take me to a safe place now. Pull me up with your grace during this retreat so that I can really make this an effective retreat. You know, St. Ambrose, 
described as the honey-tongued preacher. He can help. He can help us. I mean, he. It is said he converted Saint Augustine, opened Saint Augustine's eyes. He said that famous prayer before communion that we have in, I think we have it in the Missal, the prayer before communion, which rests on God's mercy. It's about kind of preparing the ground for the Lord to come to us in communion. Gracious God of majesty and awe, I seek your protection. I look for your healing. Poor, troubled sinner that I am, I appeal to you, the fountain of all mercy. I cannot bear your judgment, but I trust in your salvation. Lord, I show my wounds to you and uncover my shame before you. I know my sins are many and great, and they fill me with fear. But I hope in your mercies, for they cannot be numbered. You know, Trusting God's mercy as we begin this retreat, as we really we let Him in, we must not be filled with fear, but confidence. We can picture the crowds now that were so fascinated by Jesus and His teaching, and all kinds of people came to Him all social levels, all intelligences, the weak, the poor, the wealthy. And as he saw all these crowds, he said, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Which of you to build a tower? You want to... We want to build the tower of our sanctity, this building. Which of you does not first sit down? Well, we want to build that tower, Lord. We begin by thanking you because of all this rushing around. We've come to sit down now, count the costs of all these efforts, our nerves, our stress, the interactions with people, my friends, uh, my colleagues, the supernumeraries I've engaged with, my brothers, and all the, let's say, all the things I've been doing. Like, okay, now I've done all this this past year. Now I have to sit down and stop. I really have to calculate. I have to look over the plans, examine the details, see the bigger picture of this last year, see how this tower of sanctification is going. And we're happy. We're happy to sit down. We're happy because it means a, a bit of a rest. You can finally sit down and be quiet with the Lord. Stay alone with Him. But it's kind of like calculating. You're kind of in the, in, the sense, in the sense that our Lord is saying, because we're building a tower. We're sitting down, counting the cost. And see if we have enough to complete it. Like, like all this movement that I've been—is is this really going to complete the, the building of my sanctity? When he says, you know, for 
for those who see that he cannot finish, you know, not able to finish, they would look at him and deride him. The guy who builds a tower and is half built or something. You know. Imagine not being able to finish what we've begun years ago. However many years ago, I know you want to finish. You want to persevere in that loyalty to God, that fidelity to your vocation, fidelity to the Father, that yes that you began long ago, and yet you still have more ahead. The building is not finished yet. I can see now one of the last pictures of Father Joe Soria perched in his wheelchair in front of that pond in front of uh, Glenwood. It had been a while since he couldn't speak. He's in that wheelchair, his head is down. When I had the chance to go and visit him there this past summer, he'd just been prepared. He was sitting in his wheelchair. And he had his head down. And I said, hello, Father Joe, how are you? And he raised one finger. Just went like that. I said, oh, it's Father Joe, how are you doing? But he kept his head down. He just, I don't know, he couldn't. But he was acknowledging me with just one finger. That's all he could move. Like great certitude. But to me, it was kind of like saying, that's where I'm going. You know, that's where I'm going. And upon seeing him like that, and I had the same impression when I saw Father Greg in the hospital before he passed. One senses that the, pow- that, that, the, that the tower has been built. You know, engineers like to go to earthquakes. Uh, they like to see the zones of the buildings that need, you know, that have crumbled, those that have fallen, those that have held up. Well, a building like Father Joe held up. As our father says in the way, he started to build and was unable to fill it, finish. A sad commentary which, if you don't want, need never be made about you, for you possess everything necessary to crown the edifice of your sanctification, the grace of God and your own will. Mm. Well, we can tell our Lord, you know, I don't want to leave my building of sanctity incomplete, half-finished. We can be enthused now by all those extra floors that are going to be added, the gilding, you know, the revetment, the strong foundations, although those presumably have, but maybe they have to be rebuilt. We have to examine all that. Can this building take an earthquake? One of my favorite psalms. Psalm 127. Nisi Dominus edificaverit domum in vanum laboraverunt qui edificat eam. Unless the Lord build a house, their labor is but lost that build it. They, they, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds. Nisi Dominus edificaverit domum. Unless 
the Lord. So maybe we think, well, building this building is too much for me. I can't do this. It's, it's too much effort. But the, but the Lord will be building it. It's saying, remember that it was God who, who saved their cities from their enemies. God had given them everything that was valuable to them. Safety houses, had given them food, had given them children, had given them peace. It was God who let them work and build these houses. It was God who let them build all those other things in the psalm. Except the Lord, keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You know, unless the God watches over, you can, you can have a good watchman, but he, he works in vain. You know, it's quite something, you know, to see downtown Toronto, all these cranes sometimes, and they're building a new building, like there's one on Bloor and Young, this massive, massive, massive building. I don't know how many floors it's going to be, but you can, it's a real spectacle to watch, you know. You know, the, there's those orange cones everywhere, the cranes, the tractors, the workmen, the security cameras, the night watchmen, you know, all that kind of rigmarole for these massive buildings right? and uh, you know how, however much effort you put you know is the Lord who watches over you know, the works of man unless the Lord builds the house they labor in vain who build it and perhaps that's what we can ask ourselves you know am I am I in some way laboring in vain and we can see this of course also in the beautiful life of somebody like Pope Benedict who stayed in that silent retreat kind of fortifying the building of the house naturally of his own life many of us uh, were moved at, uh, at his great humility if you, if you read his last testament it's a, it's a beautiful testament you know that the house has been built. It's done. Because he, he was founded on, on God, founded on God's grace. And so we, we really want to bring those, those gifts to our Lord. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. The faith, the hope, and the charity that will be the foundation stones to that building that we want to build. Naturally, it is Our Lady, too, who holds the child. And as she's holding the child, she's saying, this is the way to salvation. Now, those earliest icons always showed Mary holding the child, pointing at him, that, you know, this is the way of salvation. As we give her the gifts, of course, we, we play that role of building that tower. We ask her now to really make this the best retreat Look at every floor, look at the building, look at the stairs, look at the entrance, look at how that building of sanctification, sanctification is going. And she will intercede for us and uh, you know, make it a solid structure. Well, thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them, to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father, Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.